Welcome back, everybody, to the Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. Here's our college football extravaganza show for you. I found it interesting this weekend, uh, having the weekend off from calling a college game, to actually be able to sit down and watch football. But when you're at home with your five-year-old, that becomes a real problem because he doesn't quite like football the way dad does or really is very interested in it. So um, it was difficult to watch all the games. I tried to make sure I understood um, what was going on, and I was really interested, of course, in our parlays. Let's look, let's look at some of these from last week because we're just putting this out there. Right? We went four and four, okay? So we were 500, but I think the biggest things in all of this, right, we, we took Oklahoma State as our upset of the week. I think we've hit four out of five last uh, upset, upsets of the week. Um, and then our parlay was Penn State minus five, uh, Oklahoma State plus the six, and Oregon with the money line. And so we ran away with that one. That was a uh, plus 432 for you all out there. I know the producers in the room next door, very happy with that. They, they for some reason, believe in me and, and tend to bet with, uh, with the, what the man says out here. So um, speaking of said Oregon team, uh, they cruise right, right past UCLA. Now, I think that what people witnessed – and what they probably talk, walked away with may be a little different. Like UCLA, they're, they're going to have a hard time being stopped this year. And I think Dan Lanning understood that. He understood what that was going to be like, and that's therefore he did something unusual, right? He, he tried something. He risked an onside kick. They got it. You're going to have to steal possessions in those types of matchups. And I would argue if you put up the defense versus the defense for Oregon and UCLA – Oregon's defense is better. They're most likely going to get more stops. So if you remove possessions from UCLA and DTR and Chip Kelly and what they're doing offensively, you make things problematic, and that's exactly what happened. UCLA wins that matchup. They are a lock for the Pac-12 championship, and now uh, it's going to be difficult for them to get in. They have to play USC in that final weekend of the year for them. Well, I guess the, the second-to-last weekend of the year. Uh, which will determine probably whether or not they go to the Pac-12 championship or not. If you remember correctly, uh, the Pac-12 removed both the North and South divisions, so it's not about that anymore. It's the best two teams. Uh, ironically enough, Oregon and USC will not play each other during the regular season. So uh, there's a lot to go into all this. Oregon has the much more difficult um, path to the Pac-12 championship than, let's say, UCLA or USC. They really only have one another. Um, the Notre Dame matchup for USC won't, won't counter into uh, the Pac-12 championship because it's a non-conference game. It can eliminate them from the, from the college football playoff, which next Tuesday night will be the first college football playoff rankings that come out. We'll have all that for you on next week's show. We'll see how it stacks up alongside the Gold Leaf top 25. Um, Oregon has Washington. They have Utah, and they have Oregon State. All uh, Washington is a, has become a real rival. They get them in Eugene. Utah certainly has, has dominated them the last few times they've played, but both times have been in Salt Lake and in Las Vegas for the uh, Pac-12 championship. They get them in Eugene. And then, of course, the civil war between Oregon State is always a battle. So they have a much more difficult path to the Pac-12 championship. We're going to speak with Coach Lou Holtz a little bit later in the show, and I want to ask him the question around whether or not he thinks an Oregon team that got embarrassed 49-3 opening weekend could run the table, do something that no team has ever done in the Pac-12's history, and that's go undefeated 
in conference play and be left out of the college football playoff simply because of that beating. Would it benefit the Pac-12 to have USC be the representative because of the brand, because their only loss then would be, uh, of, of course, to Utah uh, on the road in an, in, in an incredibly competitive and tough football game? Those are a couple questions I really want answers to that I think should make it for very interesting fodder for the Pac-12 and what they what they consider. Uh, Clemson, Syracuse. This was a game we really liked. We liked the fact that Syracuse was was such an underdog. We went with that. Um, we went with the 13.5 points, and for a long time, it looks like they were going to win outright. Um, let's start with this, the officiating. You know us here at the straight line. We don't pull any punches. The officiating was suspect. All right, They call a roughing the passer penalty on Syracuse. Moments later, same type of thing. Syracuse quarterback Schrader's running out of bounds. He gets pushed late. No call. I will say this. There is no reason, no reason at all, that the Syracuse player on third and 24 has to be anywhere near that quarterback who's running out of bounds for Clemson. He has no business being anywhere near him, yet he took a risk. He made a choice. A few plays later, they make a tackle. He reaches down and kind of rips at the face mask. I mean, it's amazing to see what pressure does to players, coaches, and teams when things get crazy. Right? We'll look back at the, the playoff game between the Bills and the Chiefs last year and the decision-making that Sean McDermott and his staff did when all that pressure, all that stress. You're about to win, just like Syracuse. You're about to win a game at Clemson to solidify yourself as probably a top-10 team in the country, and instead you then go and make incredibly poor choices. And so I know a lot of people are pointing to the officiating, but there is no reason. No reason that Tucker doesn't get the ball more in the second half trying to work clock, and there is no reason why that Syracuse Orange player needs to be near that out-of-bounds marker where he tosses and pushes the, the quarterback out of bounds. There's no reason for him to be there at all. Just guide him out a little bit. It's third and 24. You're getting the ball back. Instead, you allow them a first down, and away they go. They get a touchdown that ultimately um, gets them on a roll. DJU, the quarterback for Clemson, Gets benched. Cade Klublik, the all-world high school recruit, true freshman, comes in, and they don't really ask him to do much, right? They handed the ball off. Shipley went berserk. They just became more physical. They got a defensive touchdown for the Orange that kept this game apart, but ultimately Clemson once again found a way to win. That's what's been so so impressive about this team this year. They just find ways to win football games regardless whether it's a battle whether it's a blowout they just find ways to win and that makes them a very dangerous team moving forward now they got some really interesting games left I don't know what the ACC championship's going to look like their win against Wake Forest looks really good right now on the road against a team that easily could be in the top 10 had they not lost that game all right we rolled with this game LSU and Ole Miss I liked Ole Miss. They were a, uh, I think they were a dog, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, they were a one-and-a-half-point dog. So we, we rolled with them. We thought Ole Miss had a way to win. And guess what? I think most of us 
when we looked at the first quarter score and it was 17 to three Rebs, you were like, oh, we, we figured this one out. We got this one done. Sure enough, Brian Kelly and how he's utilized Jaden Daniels, um, it, it's been incredibly impressive. It's how he should have been utilized at Arizona State. He can throw the ball well, but what he can do with his feet and the pressure he puts on the defense, especially on the perimeter, is special. And they scored 42 points to Ole Miss's three. They just dominated from the second quarter on. And, I mean, there were times you looked over at Lane Kiffin and you were like, how do you stop this avalanche, this onslaught of points that Brian Kelly and the Tigers were, were doing? And uh, it sets them up really well for what moves forward. I think the West is pretty much open. Alabama is great, but Alabama has a chance to slip up. We've seen that a few times this year, right? They still have matchups against Ole Miss, against LSU, against Auburn in that game, regardless of how good or bad Auburn is, that game's always a, a tussle. So, I mean, there is a lot left in the SEC West, and LSU has certainly placed themselves in a very good position right there. All right, when we come back, we're going to go to uh, more Week 8 reaction and get to the gold, uh, the Week 9 Gold Leaf, Gold Standard Top 25 right here on the Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. Uh, getting you caught up with all the Week 8 recap. Um, TCU, uh, the final undefeated team in the Big 12, just keeps finding ways to win football games. I mean, they got down early to Kansas State, a game that we really liked. We liked Kansas State in this one. But when you lose Adrian Martinez, you know, everything hits the fan. And they went and their backup quarterback did a heck of a job. But ultimately, Max Duggan and Sonny Dykes and this offense, Quentin Johnston in particular, uh, are just have been too much for 60 minutes. Like if these games were, you look at the matchup against Kansas, you look up the map, matchup against Oklahoma State, here Kansas State, you look at all those matchups, if the games weren't 60 minutes long, then it's a different story. But they just keep playing. And Anytime you see an air raid type of offense is what's where, where Sonny Dykes comes from. You think teams aren't able to get down in the mud and the muck and find ways to fight in the physical nature in which they go about their business. And they have been so good at doing that. And it, what makes this team incredibly impressive, um, you know, this matchup, I, I think, ultimately is going to decide whether or not Kansas State or Oklahoma State is the team that, that, that gets into the uh, – the mix because Oklahoma State, Kansas State play each other this weekend in Manhattan, a little apple. Um, so that will make for a very interesting matchup. TCU, West Virginia. West Virginia's a little down, but they're ornery, they're talented, and they're competitive week in, week out. So watch out for that. Just, just be aware, TCU. I know you got big things ahead, uh, especially the Texas Longhorns down the stretch. All right. Oklahoma State holds off Texas. This was our upset of the week. I think at some point we just may just, whoever Texas plays, we'll just say that's the upset of our week. And uh, uh, it may not come true, but uh, it happened for us twice now. We've had them three times, I think. Uh, and they just, uh, they just haven't been able to be disciplined enough. 
14 penalties to Oklahoma State's zero. Now, I think when most people hear that, they think that Oklahoma State didn't have any flags thrown on them. They did. One was an offsetting penalty. I think another one was declined. So, I mean, if flags were thrown against the Cowboys, um, just weren't accepted. And Oklahoma State just kept fighting, kept fighting, and kept fighting. This is a, a double-digit double lead by Texas that they blew again. And, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, who I really, really like as a head coach, you know, was 10-10 and 10 at Texas. And this kind of this kind of fits in the form of what he's done his entire career. He's been pretty much kind of a 500 head coach. And this was batted about and talked about when he got the job at Texas, you know, and what that means. How is this team going to compete when they get to the SEC, right? I mean, I, I do believe the Arch Manning conversation is going to play into a lot of it, you know, how good he can be and how quickly he can be good at Texas. Quinn Ewers had probably his worst football game as a college football player to this point. Um, bad accuracy, uh, overthrew a ton of receivers, and they just were not on the same page uh, and had problems the entire game. Oklahoma State, we've said this a few weeks ago, I still think they're the best team in the Big 12. Spencer Sanders is playing like he's a, a six-year senior, which he is, and you know they're most likely going to get a rematch against TCU. We'll find out what happens this weekend, of course, when they head to Manhattan to take on Kansas State. Oh, we got some video here. I'm going to talk about it here in a second. But Alabama beat up Mississippi State. And this was a, lo a loss for us. We had the over in this football game. I just thought Mississippi State was going to be able to score points against an Alabama defense that has been uh, susceptible to that this year. And no, Mike Leach... Uh, in the last couple weeks, seemingly feels like he has no idea what they are doing on the offensive side of the football. So much so that he led a bit of a diatribe in his post-game press conference about his players and the generations that come after him possibly losing their hands. And I'm genuinely fearful that on our team, if, if, if me and the other coaches don't get them right, um, <clears throat> that about a generation from now, um, their kids and their grandkids won't have hands, you know, because, um, you know, from a lack of use, those hands just disappear. I mean, and, and maybe it'll be like this, like those dinosaur hands like this are, you see. And, and you know, you got like a Tyrannosaurus Rex who's, clearly good at eating things, big old jaws and all that stuff, fairly athletic and run. Well, his hands are like this. And, and, you know, and I think we took a very, very, very uh, big step as a team, which we have to correct this. We have to correct this because, um, you know, I think that uh, in the end that it's going to be best for all these guys uh, that they have good hand development and that they don't evolve to where they don't have hands, okay? But we definitely um, didn't use ours, and so there certainly wasn't any genetic reinforcement on our part um, that we should maintain our hands. I mean, and I don't want all of a sudden, you know, guys driving across this country, and then they get to Starkville, Mississippi, and all of a sudden there's these athletic-looking, friendly guys, because we have great guys, that don't have any hands. 
and I hope that that's not the case. But that's where we're headed right now, and we're going to try to get that fixed in this off week. So uh, if you've never heard Mike Leach talk, pregame, postgame, offseason, I mean, he is uh, – if you're a writer, if you're a journalist, you, you love him for content. You absolutely love him. If you're an analyst in a game, you don't you hate it because you're trying to get some insight on – what's going to happen with the game. And all he wants to talk about is maybe like Geronimo and uh, clearly here uh, the generational loss of, of hands because of their inability to coach it up in Starkville, Mississippi. So uh, they vacate, they vacate the gold leaf top 25. Speaking of which let's go through our top 25 week nine week before uh, the college football playoff rankings come out. All right. At one, we have the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, next couple of weeks are going to tell us a lot whether I've been smart or stupid to keep them as the number one team in the nation with all the movement outside in the AP poll and the coaches poll. They get Florida this week and Tennessee next week. At number two, the Tennessee Volunteers. At three, the Ohio State Buckeyes. At four, I've moved up TCU. The opponent, they've, they've won like four top 25 games in a row. Uh, they just keep finding ways to win. They play 60 minutes of football and more if needed. Uh, I have them as the number four team in the country. Clemson at number five after their big win against the Syracuse Orange. I know a lot of people aren't giving them a lot of credit for it. I don't care. Syracuse is an undefeated team. That's a win. They belong where they're at until they get beat. At six, the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, they get a, a rival in Michigan State. Ultimately, I think you know their, their path is clear until they meet Ohio State in the horseshoe in the final week of the season. At seven, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, good win against... Mississippi State, see how they bounce back when the schedule gets a little difficult, right? Ole Miss, LSU, uh, we'll see where that goes. Auburn even at the end of the year. At eight, the Oregon Ducks, they continue to move up. The one loss to the defending national champions, I'll, I'll be in a very disparaging fashion, 49-3. to three. They, they really dominate a UCLA team that has had no trouble with anybody all year long, except for maybe South Alabama. Really, that's it. Oklahoma State, number nine. They keep finding ways to win, too, right? Uh, they probably should have won that game against TCU, but like I said, 60 minutes long. That game went into overtime. They just were, they just ran out of steam. Couldn't get it done. Wake Forest at number 10. The USC Trojans at 11. Penn State jumps back up. I thought the win over Minnesota in the fashion in which they did it was a huge response after getting the barn doors blown off in the second half there against Michigan, which sets up for a real interesting matchup against Ohio State at their place uh, where it's always difficult for the Buckeyes to come visit. At 13, I have UCLA. You know, a loss to Oregon isn't on the road, isn't a, a terrible thing. They get a chance, they'll bounce back. Their biggest matchup, of course, is going to be USC second weekend, second to last weekend of the year. That one will decipher whether they go to the Pac-12 championship or not. At 14, the Utah Utes. They head to my alma mater, Washington State, Thursday night football tomorrow night. Uh, our seven and a half point favorite right now. Both had about 10 days off. Uh, of course, Utah coming off that great inspirational win against USC. Washington State coming off uh, that pretty disparaging loss to Oregon State on the road. At 15, the Ole Miss Rebels. Um, the last three quarters of that football game from Lane Kiffin and that group looked bad, looked really bad. How can a team look so good in the first quarter and then get found out so quickly that it turns the game completely on its axis? And that's, a, that's what happened. They move to number 15. Illinois, 6-1. They get Nebraska. They have a chance to go to 7-1. This is maybe the, 
the best Illinois team that's been around for a long, long time. Brett Bielema, uh, Illini fans out there, you got to be really pleased with what he's been able to do in such a short amount of time. Also, I'd be worried that another big-time head coaching job may be available for him. If he can make Illinois this type of team and hopefully keep him there, Illinois can be a part of the Big Ten conversation every single year. At 17, the LSU Tigers, I mean, they're going to continue to jump up this list because of the teams they play down the stretch, right? They very well could be a top-five team before it's all said and done, okay? At 18, Kentucky, they get Tennessee this week. Something's going to have to break here. Tennessee has averaged over... 30 points a game, uh, longest streak in uh, all of college football. Well, Kentucky has allowed less than 24 points a game for the longest streak in college football. Something is going to break down this weekend. At 19, Syracuse drops to the 19th spot after their loss to Clemson. Um, Again, we talked about that game, choices. Choices that ultimately put you in harm's way when stress and pressure begin to mount, and that's exactly what happened to the Syracuse team, who have never been in that position before. At 20, North Carolina. Now, we're going to dig deep into this Tar Heels team because there's some interesting things I want to talk about that I don't think a lot of people are. The loss to Notre Dame looks bad because of where Notre Dame is. Now, if Notre Dame goes off and beats Clemson and beats Syracuse, that North Carolina loss is going to look a lot better. And if they can find a way to win the ACC, can you imagine that? Drake May is going to be a real conversation piece. Dude has 21 touchdowns and three interceptions. Redshirt freshman. He is not being considered for the Heisman Trophy. We're going to pull those odds for you later in the show and see because guess what? That may be an incredibly valuable pick because if they were to do what I think they are very poss- could very possibly do, he's sitting in a position as an ACC champion, possibly in the conversation for the college football playoff, with a stat line that is better or mirrors the likes of Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Bo Nix, all of them. And no one, no one's talking about him. Drake May, quarterback, North Carolina. They are my number 20 team in the country. 21, the Oregon State Beavers. Uh, they dominate again last week. They continue to do so. Their two losses, of course, this year to Utah and to USC, both top 15 teams in the Gold Leaf. 22, Tulane remains in their position. 23, Cincinnati. 24, Kansas State. Kansas State falls. Uh, how are they going to be? Is Adrian Martinez going to be back this weekend? It's at home against Oklahoma State. We'll wait and see. And then at 25, I have Liberty. I mean, they have a last-second loss to Wake Forest, who is a, what, top-10 team in the Gold Leaf? That's their only loss this year. I mean, you know, Hugh Freeze is a winning football coach, and he's found another recipe of winning there uh, for this Liberty team. They enter my top 25 for the first time this year at number 25. All right, when we come back, Hall of Fame head coach, Notre Dame head coach, Lou Holtz is going to join us here on The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf, and this is one of my favorite guests we have on when we get a chance here on the college football extravaganza, but head football coach for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish National Championship and Hall of Fame coach, Lou Holtz. Welcome to the show, Coach. How you doing? I'm doing okay, Ryan. Always a pleasure to be with you and with this group. 
Yeah, it's it's always fun to to have you on. We we started talking off air a little bit about your membership at Augusta National, and I was very very jealous. But I appreciate everything you're doing. It sounds like you've had a ball being there for the last twenty three some years. Speaking of Notre Dame, speaking of Notre Dame, they handled UNLV, but most people have handled UNLV. And uh, what really looks like a team that's starting to kind of find themselves, and the win against North Carolina is looking a lot better week in and week out. How do you see your Irish after the win this weekend with two big games coming up? I I think the two big games, you talk about Syracuse and Clemson, but I think Southern Cal which is our arch rival the last game there, would not be easy either. Uh, Notre Dame is really falling into a groove right now. They're starting to run the football. The strength of the football teams are defense and their offensive line. They have 20 sacks on defense. The offensive line is only giving up six sacks. They protect the passer well. But they're so talented, they don't run the ball as well as they should. When they really make a commitment to running, the offensive line shows up. Then the play-action pass that comes into effect. And that's when they can hit Michael Mayer, uh, the great tight end. And he has approximately one half the receptions of the Notre Dame football team. But when they run the ball, play extra pass, play great defense, they have a good kicking game, they're going to be fine. On the other hand, Syracuse, you know, they, they lost close to Clemson. But let's remember this. Clemson was on their two-yard line, going in for a touchdown, fumbled the ball. Uh, Syracuse picked it up. Ran 97 yards for a pick six. That was 14 point difference on one play. Syracuse is a good football team. Schrader's having a tremendous year. Tucker's an excellent running back, but they did not give him the ball to five times against Syracuse. The fact that uh, it's played at Syracuse, they are a different football team at home than they are on the road. So this will be a real challenge for the University of Notre Dame. But I think Notre Dame will prevail on that. I think they will cover as well. I think that. Uh, they played very well against Ohio State in their opening ball game. They've been up and down since then, but I think they're into a group now. I've talked to uh, the coach, uh, and he feels very confident about this football team now, and I do as well. Well, that's good to hear uh, for many Notre Dame uh, fans out there. Um, speaking of Notre Dame fans, they watched their head coach, Brian Kelly, had, that had won a, uh, the most games ever at uh, at Notre Dame, go on to LSU. And he finally, I think, got his first signature win this weekend. It, it came an interesting way, right? Down 17-3 to and then went on a 42-3 to run. Talk to us a little bit about what you've seen from Brian Kelly and kind of slowly how they've come about uh, down there in Baton Rouge. Obviously, uh, Brian Kelly's a very good football coach. He'll win as many games as he did at Notre Dame. He had an undefeated season at University of Cincinnati. So he's won everywhere he's been. But the whole key to that is Daniels, their quarterback, got one day. That guy's explosive. In the last two football games, he has counted for 11 touchdowns. Six by pass, five by run. He, he's outstanding. He has 12 touchdowns, only one interception. He's running for 524 yards and seven touchdowns himself. Now, they uh, they have Alabama uh, in next week or open this week. And well, that'll be a real test, but I think they have a chance because they have an open date, they play them at home. Then they play UAB, which won't be a problem. Then they go play Texas A&M. Now, A&M looked like that would be a challenge before the season began. But if they get by Alabama, they could end up winning that division. Uh, as I said, they're, they're really playing well right now. Their defense is playing well. 
and they, they beat a very good old Miss football team. Not a great football team by any stretch of the But as long as you have Daniels at quarterback, you have a chance. They, that guy's almost impossible to sack. He can scramble. He can throw. He's very, very accurate. But he's an outstanding runner. So when he's in the huddle, that gives everybody else a great deal of confidence, including your defense on the sidelines. Said, well, if we can hold them to 24, we have a chance to win this football game. That's the type of attitude that a team has when you have a great quarterback like Daniels. I have the uh, the Ole Miss Texas A and M call this weekend in College Station. Uh, you got any insight? You got any insights for me on that Ole Miss team? You said not a great football team, but a good one. And Texas A and M certainly hasn't lived up to expectations. What do you think I should expect from this kind of matchup this weekend? Well, well, when a guy gets eight nine million dollars a year, it's going to bounce up about three million dollars a win. Uh, the problem with AM, you know, they have a great defensive coordinator, no doubt about that. They're a very talented football team, but they don't have the great quarterback. And if you don't have a great quarterback at the right, you know as well as I do. You play quarterback, you're a great one. If you don't have a great quarterback, you cannot be a great football team. That's where it all starts. It's like having a goalie in soccer or goalie in hockey, uh, and same thing having a pitcher in baseball. The quarterback is the key, and they have scrambled back and forth. They play in the transfer from LSU at times, et cetera, but not an established quarterback, and until he gets that straight, they're still going to struggle. Yeah, I feel you there. The quarterback position for them was one that, that usually Jimbo Fisher, he's been the quarterback whisperer, but for whatever reason – you know, it's a complicated offense, and if you're not in the system for a long, long time, I, I get it. I get it. All right, uh, let's go out west. The Oregon Ducks, they were embarrassed on national TV opening weekend, got beat 49-3 to by the defending national champions. But since then, Dan Lanning, in his first year as head coach, has gone west. He's built an identity around this football team, and he took a, a young quarterback from the Southeastern Conference and has made him into something really special there in Bo Nix. They dominated a UCLA team this weekend that was undefeated. What do you think about the Ducks uh, out there in the Pac-12? Well, I think, you know, after they got beat 49 to three, the amazing thing, their head coach was a defensive coordinator for Georgia last year. They opened up with and get the Bears. But I will say this, he has bounced that football team back. I remember Bo Nix when he was at Auburn. He, he came in there with great credentials, but he never really matured. Right now, 17 touchdowns, only three interceptions, and they're, they're an outstanding football team. However, they really haven't beaten a winning team until they beat UCLA. Their schedule's been such, and now let's look at what they have left. Well, they have Colorado left. Uh, that won't be much. They have, uh, uh, they have Washington, and Washington will be difficult. Washington's a good football team, uh, I tell you, with Washington, with that left-handed quarterback who transferred from Indiana, every time we talk about a football team, we talk about a quarterback who transferred, but he is really good. And uh, so they have a chance. Then they play Utah, and they end up with Oregon State. Now, you played that conference. You know the rivalry and the intensity of Washington Washington State. What's the same thing with Oregon Oregon State? So they have three difficult games left. I don't think they could possibly make the playoff. I don't think I'm sad to say that it looks like, once again, the Pac-12 is not going to have a representative in, in the playoff. And that is really a shame. I think Southern Cal's a very good football team, not very, very good on defense. I think UCLA's a good football team, but it's hard to go through a season undefeated. So, and Utah's a good football team. So, let's wait and see. I would not put Oregon in the Hall of Fame yet. 
uh, although they may end up there if they win these last three football games. Hey, Coach, uh, would it would it benefit the Pac-12 conference this year if the representative is USC because their only loss would be a very close one on the road at Utah where Oregon's was an absolute beatdown against Georgia to start the year? Would it, would it benefit – that the Pac-12 if USC was the representative ultimately at the end, the best chance to get into the college football playoff? I think if USC runs the table, I'm not sure they can unless their defense gets vastly improved. I want to tell you, uh, Caleb Williams, the quarterback for uh, USC, is unbelievable. He, he, he's like uh, so many quarterbacks. You know, we talked about Daniels, we talked about Williams, et cetera. Or Brace Young, it's hard, difficult to sack them. But I think that they have great talent. They got great receivers, excellent coach, and they run the ball very, very well. So if they run the table, and I think they can, although they play UCLA on the road, and then they have to come home and play Notre Dame at home after playing UCLA, possibly for the right to represent the, the South in, the, in that championship game. But if they run the table, I think they would have a legitimate reason to be considered strongly for the playoff. And that'd be the first time in a while that the Pac-12 had a team in the championship race. Yeah, it would be the first time since the University of Washington and Chris Peterson made the entrance there. All right, Uh, South Carolina, another place you know really well. Uh, They defeated Texas A&M. They've won four straight, and they're ranked for the first time since 2018. What have you seen from Coach Beamer and this team as they've gradually kind of found their way this season? Well, they're, they're playing beaver ball. You know, they run the opening kickoff back against A&M, intercept the pass, recover a fumble. Five minutes of the game, they're at 17 to nothing. But the thing that really turned their season around was they went and beat a good Kentucky football team 24 to 14 on the road. Uh, they're, they're not home free yet because they still have – they don't play a real difficult schedule remaining of the year. But they do end up traveling to Clemson. They could beat Clemson. I mean, they're good enough on defense and on offense. Uh, the quarterback, uh, Spencer Rattler, who transferred from Oklahoma, is playing very, very well. But they're playing in all three phases of the game. And when you play in all three phases of the game, you're a very difficult team to beat. So I'm excited about South Carolina. I know how it is, how great it is for the fans. And let's just hope that they find a way to get through the rest of the year. Yeah, that Clemson matchup every single year, I, I know – South Carolina fans would be, uh, you know, would be through the roof if they were able to upset a Clemson team and probably at that time, it's the last game of the year, knock them out of the playoff conversation. All right, Coach, before we get you out of here, uh, what's your game of the week or what's your game to watch this weekend in college football? Well, <laughs> it's hard for me to say what game because I, I usually will go to a, a bar where they have eight or nine TVs and I can watch them all. But let me give you a six game that I think are interesting. You know, Ohio State, Penn State, Ohio State's averaging 45 points a game at minimum in the last five football games. But let's remember two years ago, they played Penn State out there. Penn State only had one loss, got blown out by Michigan. However, they were ahead by one point in the third quarter. So uh, Ohio State two years ago went up there, was ahead by three, kicking a field goal to increase their league, was blocked running back for touchdown, they lost. I also think that uh, you have to keep some eye on uh, Oklahoma State and Kansas State. The reason this game's important, whoever wins this game will be the one that will end up playing TCU for the Big 12 championship. They both had one loss to TCU. 
I think in Kansas State, an excellent football team. Uh, I, I think that the, the quarterback, Martinez, that transferred there from Nebraska. Every time we talk about quarterback, he transferred this year. But he's really played very, very well. Oklahoma State's an excellent team. I think their quarterback's played very, very well. But they lost their defensive coordinator at Ohio State, and it really shows up. They're not playing as well. I, I think that uh, let's go uh, Florida, Georgia. That's always interesting. Largest outdoor cartel party. And Georgia should win the football game. However, why is that interesting? Because next week, Georgia entertains Tennessee. Are they going to be looking ahead to Tennessee? It'd be the first time they've been able to do that. Also, I think Kentucky, Tennessee. Kentucky's a dangerous football team, but Tennessee at home, uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens next week. And then I think you have to go and you have to really look at Michigan. Uh, it's just a very, very strong foot, but they're playing Michigan State. That's their arch rifle. Hardball has had tremendous success. He's not been able to beat Ohio State the last year. He's had very bad success against Michigan State. He had Michigan State beat two years ago. They go back to punt on the last play of the game, and the guy drops it, and then they end up blocking it and winning it. So you never know. Anytime there's an arch rival like Michigan, Michigan State, you don't know what in the world is going to happen. And then, of course, I, I think you have to look at Texas A&M against Ole Miss. The reason I say that, because Texas A&M is really struggling. It'd be interesting to see if Ole Miss, Ole Miss bounces back against them. But anytime a guy gets $9 million and spends $35 million recruiting the freshman class, you expect a little bit more than that. I, I'm always on my Texas A&M friends. I have some friends that they live and die Texas A&M. But we played them, I think, four different times in the Cotton Bowl. And, and I ride them an awful lot. So that, that'll be interesting to see. That's interesting to me just so that I can ride my Texas A&M <laughs> fan if they happen to lose again. That's the best part about college football is, you know, you make a decision on who you're going to be uh, when you're a kid and who you're going to be the rest of your life. You can always have those fun rivalries and those fun interactions around college football the rest of the, the rest of your career. Coach, as always, thank you for taking the time. I love talking college football with you. It's one of my favorite things to do each and every week, so I appreciate it again. Well, thank you for having me, Ryan. I'll see you at the guest Ha <laughs> You said it. I love it. Coach Lou Holtz, everybody, thanks for joining the straight line. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the straight line with Ryan Leaf. Um, another great segment with the coach. Uh, really look forward to those. I mean, a guy his age who's had so much experience, boy, he just he keeps himself locked in with everything that's going on in the college football uh, landscape. Also, you know, this was a lot of off-air stuff, but he's a member at, at Augusta National, and, you know, he's been such a friend of the show. I tried to, tried to, to kind of weasel my way in there um, as a bucket list item to play Augusta National. It it sounds like it might be in the works, guys. I, I think that's what you guys heard too. Um, and so I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna count my chickens type of thing. But, you know, I'm really excited. I'm like, I'm kind of busting right now. I'm, I'm, I'm withholding it. I understand. Um, let's dive into uh, the Heisman lines. I, I think that 
you know, it continues to look like it's it's C.J. Stroud's job and um, or award to win. This young quarterback is going to have the statistics and he's going to have the record. Now, if they lose to Michigan, maybe that's outside the conversation. And Blake Corum, his name becomes more of a more of a conversation piece. Like it all, it all really depends on what what breaks down over the next you know few weeks. C.J. Stroud's at minus one ten is the favorite right now. Hendon Hooker at plus two hundred, Caleb Williams plus twelve hundred, Bryce Young plus fifteen hundred. Same with Blake Corum, and then Sam Hartman is plus four thousand. Um, there's a guy that I was mentioning a little bit earlier, Drake May. He is plus six thousand, right? Is that what you guys said? Plus six thousand. He's plus five thousand. Sorry. Now, if you want some value, like. I mean, it, for him to win it, it would have to play out like I, like I think it possibly can, right? They would have to win the ACC. Uh, their only loss would be to a Notre Dame team. Notre Dame would then have to probably go on a run and beat the likes of Clemson and Syracuse and maybe even USC at the end of the year to have that that loss seem a little bit better. But don't forget, there was a signature win for Johnny Menzel, and when he ran off with those statistics that year, right? They they lost three games, I believe, that year, if I'm correct. And he still won the Heisman Trophy. So I don't know if there's too much of a runway for C.J. Stroud here because of everybody and how they believed it was going to go. But, I mean, I just I look outside the box a little bit. I mean, you can just go with the guy that, you know, most likely is going to have the best stats. I, you know, Ohio State may be the best team. But ultimately, like if, if – if UNC is a one-loss ACC champion and Drake May has the stat line that I think he will have if they're in that place, you'd have to fight me to tell me that he isn't the best college football player in America, and that's what the award's for. So if I were you right now, I'd be all over Hendon Hooker. Next week's going to decipher whether or not he's, he's in the mix anymore. Uh, if he plays incredibly well and they lose, it still won't matter in the eyes of a lot of the voters, right? It's just... It's it's a popular popularity contest ultimately, and and a, and one that attaches with a brand a lot of times, and we'll see how that plays out, right? Caleb Williams, you know, plus six hundred right now. That's pretty good, uh, or plus twelve hundred right now, which is, is is pretty good value too. So, take a look there. All right, moving along to the national championship lines, right? Georgia, Ohio State, Bama, still big favorites. Clemson drops after their close win. I don't get that. Why? Why would you do that? They just beat a very good football team. You know what Clemson showed you? Is they deal with adversity. And they can beat a very good football team. So why would that drop you? All right? Ohio State, plus 175. Georgia, 200. Alabama, 350. Clemson and Tennessee at 1,500. Michigan at 1,600. Oregon, TCU at plus 4,000. USC at 7,000. Oklahoma State at 10,000. I'm going to give you one here. And... Bear with me. I would run out and, for value's sake, take Oregon plus four thousand. Just throw a hundred bucks on them. All right, throw a hundred bucks to win four grand. And this is why: the loss to Georgia, though ugly, unfortunate, decimating, however you want to view it. The team has gotten better, and that's the goal, to continue to get better. Don't forget, 
Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC championship a year ago. Georgia turned around and beat them in the national championship, right? You can get better. You can learn things. And this Oregon team, if it can get through the gauntlet in which they have in terms of Washington, Utah, Oregon State, and then a Pac-12 championship against either either uh, USC or UCLA again, that is a resume that gets them into the college football playoff. And if they get into the college football playoff and they see the likes of Georgia again, which could be an easily easy matchup because if Georgia is the number one overall seed, Oregon, if they are able to sneak in, would probably be the four seed, and you'd get a rematch. And I think it would I think it would end differently. I really do. I think they found something offensively with Kenny Dillingham and Bo Nix, and this would be different. This would be really different in this fashion. Neutral site, I understand. Different different venue than being in Austin Stadium. But this Oregon team has been really impressive since that loss and they've continued to get better and I think they're one of the best teams in the country so if you're looking for value there you get plus 4,000 for an Oregon team a lot of things would have to play the Pac-12 team has never won a national championship in the college football playoff era I get it but hey you know we're talking about value here we're talking about value um, and if you're going probably for your your best bet at, at good odds you know you got you got Bama at plus 350 I, I just don't think they have it this year. I think it comes out of Georgia, Tennessee, uh, winner of, uh, of Michigan, Ohio State this year. I just do. I think it's a different different spot. And I know I'm not giving TCU enough credit. They're also plus 4,000. They're undefeated too. They might be a better bet than Oregon in all of this because they just find ways to win. I don't know if they can win a national championship because I don't think they're physical enough. I think Oregon is ultimately physical enough. But, you know, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see, all right? All right, let's go to the matchups for this week, all right? These are uh, the games we're sitting at. Uh, where are we sitting at, boys? I think we're at like uh, 39, and I'll tell you right now. We are at 35, 19, and 1 on the year. Kind of coming back to the, the mix a little bit, but here's some interesting picks for you this week, all right? Let's go with Ohio State at Penn State, okay? The total is 61. Ohio State's favored by 15.5 points. Most people will look at the performance by Penn State on the road at Michigan. They played them tough for a little bit. I mean, they got run through ultimately then. But this is odd things happen in Happy Valley for Ohio State football teams. And so I do ultimately think they win the game. But I think this thing's going to be tighter. I think this is going to be a tighter game than people expect. So I'm going Penn State plus the 15.5. I think they keep it close. Ultimately, Ohio State wins. They continue to go down this road and are an undefeated team when they match up against Michigan in uh, the the finale at the end of the year. All right, Oklahoma State at Kansas State. Kansas State at home in Manhattan is a two-point favorite. Uh, The total is 56. Um, I mean, every week I look at Oklahoma State, and it's just like, wow, what a gauntlet of games they've had to play. I I suppose just like TCU. And you could argue Kansas State. This Big 12 is the best conference in college football. And you would not have said that a year ago when the likes of Oklahoma and Texas were leaving. You would not. They were on their last breath. And it is the best conference in college football right now. And you're getting the best games week in, week out. I'm going Oklahoma State on the road to do what they've been doing. I still think they're the best team. Adrian Martinez is a iffy whether he'll go or not. And that's a that, that, that injury cannot be more... Uh, overstated. It just it can't be. That's that's the team this year, in terms of what they do offensively, is with 
with that with that quarterback. So we're going Oklahoma State plus the two. Kentucky at Tennessee, minus 12 and a half Tennessee, over under is, or the total is 63 and a half. Um, I mentioned about this matchup, Kentucky has been a team that has limited teams to under 24 points for the longest streak in college football. Tennessee on the other side of that coin, plus 30 points a game, longest streak in college football. One side's going to break. And unfortunately, if this was in Lexington, I might think a little differently, but I believe Tennessee at home, I don't think they're going to be looking past this team at Georgia next week. I do think they're going to put all their effort into it. They rebounded really quickly after the win against Alabama and shut down an MTSU team, um, or uh, sorry, uh, Tennessee Martin a week ago. Um, you know there wasn't there wasn't that hangover, and I don't think there's going to be a uh, you know an early withdrawal by this Tennessee Volunteers team getting ready for what's about to happen in Athens, Georgia, a week from now. I think they cover the spread too, and I think Tennessee wins this game minus twelve and a half. All right, Florida, Georgia. Largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, it's been going on for years. Georgia's dominated. They are a heavy favorite, 22 and a half points. That's a lot of points in a rivalry game. And I think it could get out of hand. But I also think the under in this. I think 56 and a half points because I do think that Georgia's defense just absolutely shuts down Florida uh, and Richardson and that, and that team in, in Billy Napier's first year in this matchup. And uh, I, I don't think they go berserk scoring points either. So I could see this game being, you know, 35 to 10, which would be a, a, a impressive win for this Georgia football team against Florida, who has a win against Utah early in the year. Uh, so we're going to go with the under here, the under total of 56 and a half. All right. Notre Dame at Syracuse. Syracuse is a three point favorite right now. Uh, we'll see where it moves before game time, but I, I don't think there's a lot of confidence in, in Syracuse. I don't know why uh, for many out there. But I like this Orange team. I think that uh, Notre Dame getting getting right a little bit still isn't you know good enough. They just lost to Stanford uh, uh, over a week ago. Stanford's not very good. I think they go on the road. I think that Dome's going to be rocking. I think they get back on their feet. They utilize Tucker. Schrader has another big game in the defense. You know, comes to play. Doesn't make the same mistakes they made against Clemson a week ago. Let's go Syracuse minus the two and a half, okay? Michigan State at Michigan. Wolverine, Wolverines are favored by 21 and a half points. This is a rivalry game. Michigan State has started playing better. They beat Wisconsin a week ago in double overtime. They go to the big house. Uh, they're going to get pounded on with running the football. I don't think they win the game, but I don't care. In a rivalry game like this, 21 and a half points is just too much. Too much for me. I'm going to go Michigan State my, uh, Michigan State plus the 21 and a half um, in this matchup. All right, off to my alma mater tomorrow night, Thursday night football. Utah coming off a bye. Washington State coming off a bye, but much different um, by experiences, Washington State losing to Oregon State, Utah with that huge win over USC uh, the week before. Um, I, I I have a really hard time picking against my Cougars simply because I, I they always they always seem to play good uh, competitive football games and usually come out you know with the cover. So it, it'd be easy to do that I think, but it's just a weird number. It's seven seven and a half. 
I think it's going to be uh, a situation where both teams offensively, with the extra days, have something in place, and they're going to score points. So I'm going to go with the over here, the over total of 55. Let's go with the over here in this matchup. And then you're just rooting for a good game. You know, I don't have to be rooting against Washington State. I don't have to be rooting for Utah, vice versa. I'm just hoping for a big game, lots of points, and that's what makes it exciting. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. College football week nine parlay. Hit it last week. Uh, we've done it a few times this year. We're having a bunch of a run of good luck. We're going outside of uh, any of the big games we talked about. All right. Take this down. North Carolina minus three. Georgia Tech plus 24. South Carolina minus four. And we'll take the under 76 for South, uh, Southern Cal versus Arizona. 76 is a lot of points. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if it does go over, but I, I don't think it's going to. I think ultimately they uh, they have a shootout, but it's not it's not what, uh, what 76 points are worth. So those four, again, North Carolina minus three, Georgia Tech plus 24, South Carolina minus four, and the under 76 total for uh, USC and Arizona. The game I have this weekend, Ole Miss at A&M. You know, how does Ole Miss respond? How does Texas A&M respond? Texas A&M is 3-4, and four, everybody, right? Uh, Ole Miss coming off that horrid performance in the final three quarters of that game against LSU. Now they go to College Station. Late kickoff, 7 p.m. I just, I just feel like Jimbo Fisher, with all the scrutiny, all the noise, is going to have his team ready to go. Lane Kiffin has got to be struggling right now to find out their identity because they look to have lost it against LSU. Second game on the road, hostile environment. That place is going to be rocking. There's going to be 110,000 people. The 12th man is going to be loud and proud. We saw the last time they played against a top uh, 15 team, uh, how they played against Alabama, almost finding a way to win that game. I'm going with A&M in this one. I say they, uh, as a home dog, find a way to get it done. A&M plus the two and a half, all right? Our upset of the week, the Virginia Cavaliers, plus two versus the Miami Hurricanes. It's in Virginia. Miami turned it over eight times last week, right? Eight times. Let's see what they do on the road. Does Mario Cristobal have the ability to get these guys coached up? I don't think they do. I think Virginia at home as a dog, wins this football game outright. Virginia plus the two versus Miami. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. I love the college football extravaganza show. Got you ready to go for the weekend. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy college football and Thursday night football, Friday night football, as well as Saturday. We'll see you next week uh, for the college football show. We'll see you tomorrow for the NFL preview show for Thursday night football between the Baltimore Ravens and the Tappan Bay Buccaneers. When we are back right here on The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf, we'll see you guys tomorrow.